Hello and welcome to the official SciFox podcast, where we get to know more about our company, culture, and employees. I'm Tara Walker here with our co-founder, Mike Dubrovsky, and today we are talking to Armando Paredes, our business operations manager. We are in our new location. Uh, we outgrew our old space and we're finally here after much anticipation. Uh, Mike, first question is for you. Um, how does it feel? Being with our company from its inception and seeing where we are now, uh, what are you feeling right now? Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of torn up concrete in the lab area. Yeah. That's interesting to, it's like a painful time, I would say, because right. it's now we're, you know, split between two locations and uh, so on, but it's, it's fun. I, I've done this kind of new you know, new large space build once before, and it's always like a long, terrible process, but it's very, uh, it's very memorable, so. You mentioned the boxes on the floor being kind of nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, it's very nostalgic. Yeah. It, it used to be, so like, the British used to, uh, before like, uh, literacy was common, not sure we're going to keep this because it's kind of violent yeah, yeah. story, <laughs> but like, before literacy was common, what they used to do in Britain in the Middle Ages is they would like bring a child to a contract signing, but there's no contract, it's just verbal, right. but they would beat the child, oh. so he would remember for like <laughs> his whole life the contract. Right, right. So they would like bring a five-year-old, the yeah. five-year-old would, you know, certify like, yeah, I saw this agreements, like about where the land is split or whatever, mm -hmm. and then they would beat the child, so like the child would never and forget. And he won't, yeah, that yeah. stuff <laughs> will stick with you for your yeah. life. So that's a little bit like the the move, setting up a new location uh, is always like a huge pain, but it's it's... If I look back on startups I've done before, that's like the memory. One of the memories that sticks is just being in like this big warehouse yeah. full of boxes. And it's like you can't even imagine how you're going to deal with all this. And yeah, uh, yeah, eventually it's, nice. it's over and it's, it's like just a memory. Right, but, uh, right. Armando, you've been a, been a big part of our move and our success. Um, you played a key role in, uh, in the development. So hello, how are you? <laughs> Hi, Tara. Hi, Mike. Thank you for being here and talking with us today. Uh, thanks for the invite. <laughs> excited to be a part of our new podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it feels a little bit weird. Like if I were doing an interview for a job or something, yeah. a little bit nervous. Yeah. So what is your full name? Because I know that it's not just Armando Paredes. <laughs> it's, it's a long thing, right? So, yeah, in Mexico, um, we maintain the mother and the father's last name. Oh. So I got three last names. <laughs> Paredes Arroyo Martinez. So Paredes Arroyo from my father and uh, Martinez from my mother. Oh, nice. Okay. Pretty, pretty unconvenient here in the U.S. where this is not common. <laughs> so you said you grew up in, that's in Mexico, right? I grew up in Mexico, yeah, okay. in a city called Querétaro. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your background and what it so, was like? Um, well, Querétaro is like a, like a semi-desert area. Mm -hmm. It's a small town, well, semi-small town, pretty close to Mexico City, um, my father used to travel a lot. I used to stay in, in my house with my mother. Um, I, we do have a farmhouse, so I would spend uh, most, most weekends in my farmhouse. It's pretty big, so I don't know. I would run around, catch spiders, nice. snakes, fish. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of cows, so I would also like spend my time there, the cows. Did you work on the farm a lot? I worked some summers, not a lot. I would say maybe three or four years only. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting, you know, handling cows, um, it's like a, a little bit fulfilling because cows are really 
nice animals. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad that we like abuse them, right? They're pretty intelligent. <laughs> They're super intelligent. Yeah. yeah, my my grandma had one cow. You know, that's like the that was like not that strange in Russia. So they had like one cow, and she personally had like a relationship with the cow. She could tell it's like facial expressions and stuff like that <laughs> yeah they're friendly and they're super curious right why is mexico city where it is like i actually don't know this at all oh like, why isn't it in some other part of, first of all where is it in mexico re relative to the rest of mexico and why is it there so it has like a historical context right so mexico city is literally in the middle of mexico and it's pretty high altitude right it's like 2400 meter super high like it's the the height of machu, machu picchu i would say hmm. and uh it started because there were these like nomads called the the mexicas or the aztecs they were roaming around mexico right and so they reached this location and they decided to build a city there and uh they literally started like putting like um wood and and uh, dirt into the lake till they created like this platform and they start building their city there Hmm. Then the the Spanish came, and uh, these they were the, the strongest uh, empire here in, in Mexico. They came, they conquered them, and in order to sub, uh, subdue them, they built on top of their city. Really? Yep. Interesting. Wow. And that's the origin of it. That's so, why it's there. <laughs> and the Aztecs. It was the Aztecs? It was the Aztecs, yeah. It was the Aztecs. Okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it like growing up in Mexico? Oh, it's pretty fun, you know. Mexicans have Latin culture, so yeah. it's all about fun, food, family, partying. It's it's pretty nice. And is there a big <laughs> emphasis on education, or was that just specifically with your family? So it's just particularly with my family. Mm -hmm. Most most Mexicans, sadly, they don't really care too much about education. They're more worried about day-to-day -day life, uh, which makes sense, right, because some of the families don't learn too much. Mm. Um but uh, yeah, we my, my father made a point to give us the best education, uh, get us into the best schools. And uh, yeah, now all of my family, all my brothers and sisters, we are five. We are all spread around the world. Well, not the world, U.S. and Mexico. Right, right. Nice. <laughs> and so can you tell us a little bit about your, um, like your educational background, where you went to school? Oh, so well, primary school and all that, like, who cares, right? But um, university, I went to ITESM University. It's uh, Tecnológico de Monterrey. It's mm. the best school in, in Mexico for engineering. Mm. And I would say, like, top three from Latin America. Right? Wow. And I studied uh, biomedical engineering. So, yeah, I would say... Well, well let's back up. What, yeah. did it, what did it take to get into this university? It's probably competitive, right? <laughs> It's competitive, but I did extremely well in my Mexican SATs. Ah, okay. <laughs> so they even like offered me a, a scholarship to go. Nice. My other option was to go to the U.S. right and study in the U.S. But I don't know. I, I had a, a little bit of a weak, uh, weak personality at that time. Hmm. So I was scared of applying. So I ended up being there in Mexico. All my f my uh, brothers and sisters they studied in U.S. Hmm. Um, as I, I said, uh, I studied biomedical engineering, so it was like a mixture between pre-med, uh, electrical engineering, and maybe a little bit of biotech. So, yeah, like ma majors, majors. Yeah. Was that the route that you originally wanted to take? Um, funnily to enough, um, well, since growing up, since I was young, I wanted to be an inventor. I'm not saying researcher, I'm saying inventor. I mm -hmm. wanted to create gadgets and stuff, yeah. right? Um, and this... This uh, profession was the one that would allow me to do, like, 
certain devices, right? I thought it was an, an easy process to, to create a, a product and sell it in the market, right? But of course, I went into the most uh, regulated industry. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it, that was a little bit of a letdown, <laughs> gotta say. <laughs> Did you, so what, what made you want to be an inventor when you were younger? I don't know, like, um, I think it was partly movies, <laughs> you know, TV shows and all that. They always put the nerd who, who invents stuff and he's like super popular later yeah, yeah. or he's super <laughs> successful. I, I was a little bit of like a weird kid. So I guess I looked into that and I was like, yeah, I want this. Yeah. And actually, when I was young, like maybe six, five years old, I would literally build all my toys. I would hmm. create like race cars and all that with trash that I found in my house. Wow. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it, it was really weird. I guess I see it from my mother's eyes. Like uh, she would, you know, give, get me some real toys and then I would be playing with trash. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's kind of sad, right? Because it's actually, you know, somebody's like, very motivated inventor type goes into biomedical engineering and five years later he's like you know I, really <laughs> I mean it's kind of a sad thing for for the medical industry right but it, it now now a thing is that also in mexico the opportunity to design stuff and create a like a startup or something it's difficult more difficult than here in the u.s as a biomedical engineer most jobs over there for a biomedical engineer are in sales or working within mm. a hospital, right? And that's the, the path I ended up taking, right? Working inside of a hospital with, with all the medical equipment. And it's a little bit frustrating, you know? You become a technician instead of being a designer or an right. engineer. Mm. Uh, you design other things, like you design processes, but not, not more technology. So what, so what was that? Talk about that. So what exactly did you do? Uh, so your first job out of college was this hospital, managing hospital equipment job. Yeah, so I actually started working there like I would say a year before I graduated, mm. I was just doing an internship and uh, I ended up doing the work of a biomedical engineer. So what we would do is, yeah, literally do all the maintenance of the, the equipment, all of it. And also like corrective maintenance in case something failed, right? Can you give some context? So the first hospital in which I worked, it was called the, the Regional Motherly Specialty Hospital, something like that is the translation. So it was the biggest hospital of motherly care in, in mm. the north of Mexico. Motherly care. Motherly care. So it's like a maternal, you mean related to birth? Related to birth, related to health of women okay. um, and uh, kids, you know, as well. So like, do, you, do, you, do you have a lot of intimate knowledge about ultrasound machines then? <laughs> yes. Sounds yeah. like you yes. should. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I know how to uh, see if uh, one ultrasound machine and all of their different types of okay. vitamins <laughs> work. <laughs> Oh, man. But, yeah, um, hmm. so, yeah, I got a lot of experience there because it, it was, a, like, a government institution, and so basically it was run down. Like, we didn't have budget. We didn't have organization. Before I arrived there, uh, I had one one leader who was really good, but he never wrote anything, right? So he left, and there was nothing in the, the, part, uh, the oh, department. Oh, wow. there was no documentation. No documentation, yeah, no processes, nothing. So I had to build that from scratch. Hmm. Um so that was pretty fun, I would say. Um, do, you, do you think, you know, people getting ultrasounds, women getting ultrasounds now at that hospital, the machine is being maintained with your protocols? Yep. I mean, that's a pretty big <laughs> yeah. deal, right? That's still, you're still, uh, that's like the best, right? When something you do actually survives you. Yeah. You know, you like walk away and it's still somehow benefiting people afterwards. 
So one of the things I designed that I think had more impact was that uh, the hospital didn't have any type of emergency protocol in case that the medicinal gases like oxygen like uh, broke loose from their containers. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that and I built a whole procedure, right? And uh, they, it actually happened once. Wow. <laughs> oh my so they have to use it, so. That's amazing. Can you describe that? What does it mean? Process, uh, what, would you, what would you do in case there's like an oxygen leak in a chirurgical unit, for Safety example? Safety procedure. Mm. Yeah, so uh, w what type of, uh, of patients you would have to move out of the location? Uh, so the first thing you do is you shut the, oxy the oxygen tank. Yes. And then so now the leak is gone. Well, it's a central oxygen. <laughs> you mean you have like a really tall No, no, no. Tube this that's... hospital is like a huge tank. Okay. <laughs> Multi millions of gallons, well not millions, but a lot of gallons, like huge. I would say bigger than this room. It's this the room. kind of gas tank that stands outside the building yes. and it accumulates ice on the outside of yes. where the valve is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you mm -hmm. first go to the tank and you shut it off? Depends on where the leak is. Okay. <laughs> so if it's like a small leak in one room, uh, one of the rooms, just identify where the bulb is and close uh, it, right? I see. Yeah. So, so, the, so part, the particular uh, leak that, there ha that happened in the hospital, it was the general one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they literally had to go and close it off, like the whole oxygen for the whole hospital. Wow. So yeah, imagine like having chirurgical units, like people getting surgery and suddenly there's no oxygen. So what happened? <laughs> so... Um, I was not there anymore, <laughs> so I don't really know what happened, but I know that it was successful, and no one got it. Oh, but what was your procedure, in theory, what would you do? Uh, so you would identify the risk of the patient first, mm. uh, and see if he has to stay in the location, mm -hmm. and if you have to provide uh, an oxygen tank, right? If, for example, mm -hmm. the oxygen leak was in a certain room, you know, oxygen will increase the, the possibility of fire, right? So you yeah. would have to move them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, me and a doctor, I don't remember his name, we designed the whole uh, evaluation process for, the, for the, each of the, the patients. Can, and, can uh, you imagine, now that you've lived in America for a while, uh, can you imagine anybody your age and experience being allowed to do that in America? Like, no. Never, right? <laughs> I mean, so that, that's kind of the beauty of doing that in America. You'd have to probably be 50 years old. For the main, whatever, enormous hospital, to, that's actually kind of interesting, right? Uh, what was the most notable experience from the hospital days? Well, I remember one challenging thing. So in that hospital, for some reason, I don't know why, they used to do some ophthalmic procedures, and they had like this uh, microscope for ophthalmic procedures, right? And for some reason, one day before a big procedure, it broke down, right? And it was one of the, electric, uh, one of the, um, the PCBs, and it literally burnt. So uh, it... The, even though the, the um, optics were working, mm. the light was not working, right? And we, we had to do the procedure the next day. So I had to invent, grab a lot of stuff from other equipment and build this horrible Frankenstein of a machine. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and I had to uh, 3D, pr 3D print uh, some pieces for it so that I could like mix together the different equipment so it could work. And at the end, uh, the, the surgery was a, was a success, and the doctor was so happy with the with the Frankenstein machine that he kept on using it. Really? <laughs> yes, we didn't have to fix it anymore. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I I'm sure that people who made the printer art would be amazed. So, um, growing up, what or who were some of the major influences in your life that you feel kind of made you who you are, or shaped you? I don't know. I I would say my cousin. He was like I don't know. Um, he had like a really strong. He has a really strong personality, right? Um, and for some reason, every single person that I know looks at him for fixing problems. Every single person, right? And I don't know. I think that was inspiring. Uh, it's 
it's nice for people to see you as a reliable person that can do any whatever challenge they pose to you, you can solve it, right? So right. that was like pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, were you guys close <laughs> growing up? Yeah, we were close. Yeah. Uh, for a little while, he was living in my room oh, <laughs> while well, wow. he was studying. Okay, very close. Yeah. So after the bioengineering degree and then kind of technical management at the hospital, um, you decided finally to come to America for an MBA. Yeah, I, so I took the opportunity to go to an MBA to escape from that space. So the problem is that when you go into that space, you never go out, right? It's like going into hospitality. You mm. go in, you never go out. You have to be stuck there forever. And that's what happens with clinical engineers. You start it, and then it basically stops your opportunities in other areas. So I, I decided to go to Babson College, uh, with, which was uh, an MBA with a focus on entrepreneurship. Uh, I think Babson College... Was is is I think still one of the best uh, um, best colleges for entrepreneurship. Okay. So, you did the entrepreneurship MBA, and now you're uh, yeah like six months or so at SciFox. How does the the theory and the practice compare? So I will to... tell you something before about uh, the school. The school thinks that you can teach entrepreneurship to anyone, and he, they have a methodology, and they have all the skills. Mm. Well, rather than yeah, skills, I would say skills. Skills that you have to have in order to do a startup, right? And funnily enough, those things are super accurate. Uh, so for ex they have a, this methodology that co it's called ETNA, Entrepreneurship Thought and Action. Basically, it says that when you're starting a startup, you have to see what you have in your hands, what, the, what resources you currently have, and start going with it. So for example, with resources, I mean like, I don't know, maybe your computer, maybe a person that you know somewhere. Um, and then you start to co-create the idea, right? You have an idea that with your resources, and you start talking to people, and they build upon your idea, and then you end up creating this nice product that will fit the, the, comp the, the location. That's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and I would say it's super accurate. <laughs> like, yeah. I see you, Mike, and, and Diedrich. Do you know the history of the Babson program? What, what's the history of the program? <laughs> How did it get put together? So I guess and there, there was this guy, Roger Babson. I don't know the history that well, but this guy, Roger Babson, a rich dude from 1940s, I guess. Um, and he wanted to create entrepreneurs, right? He mm. wanted to, to um, create more people who created business, businesses. And he put a lot of money into this college, right? <laughs> so that's how it started. So interestingly, Babson is known for, I'm just looking him up. He's known for, um, really, he went, to, he went to MIT in 1898. Wow. So he went to MIT pretty early, <laughs> maybe when it was still on the other side of the river. He, he died in 91 also, which is a super, pretty long life for, for somebody in, you know, like early 20th century. Um, but... Uh, yeah, he was known for predicting the crash of 1929, the Wall Street crash. It's kind of interesting. He also, his political party was the Prohibition Party. So <laughs> I don't know how he would feel about, you know, starting a college, uh, you know, given, given that he supported Prohibition. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. Are the professors at the at Babson, like the business school, what's their background typically? What's oh, the typical? so the, the best ones, the best professors yeah. are people who have been in the industry for, I don't know, 12 to 17 years yeah. and they they have been creating stuff like they mm. a lot of a lot of the professors have like three or four exits mm. like of big company uh, big companies that have been successful so anyway. what what happened what yeah. did you do after babson so i graduated may i applied for my op team and then until october they decided to approve it 
Mm. <laughs> yeah, that and, sucks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, funnily enough, I got a, uh, got that approval. Then one week later, I applied to Bob, uh, to here to Cyfox, and one week later, I was hired. <laughs> which was which is really different from my peers. Uh, most of them, my class, they had to go back home, like to their countries, to work on their family business because they couldn't find a job here in the U.S. Yeah. So I was pretty pretty lucky. In that time frame, I know that you traveled a lot. Um, when when were you traveling, and where were you going? Oh, so yeah, I used, I used to travel. When, when I had money and time, <laughs> when I was young, uh, I used to travel a lot, right? So uh, before before I graduated from university, I used to travel. Um, so I've been like 38 countries wow. around the world. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, you, you know, travel. Depends which country, but some, some countries I would go like for a month. Some others I would go like 10 days or five days. Depends. What was your favorite or most memorable? Oof, uh, I loved Peru. I really, yeah. really love Peru. But I didn't go just to Machu Picchu, as most people go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's the boring part of Peru. Mm-hmm. I, I went around uh, to other cities. Like, uh, I've, right now, I don't have the name <laughs> in my mind, but I went to, like, um, the Amazon. I went to the south, yeah. all around Peru. I went for one month. It was super, super fun. So... I mean, do we want to go into, like, let's do life that. at SciFox? Yeah, yeah, let's do the... So, so what initially you know, kind of motivated you to apply to SciFox and like, why, why, why did this look like a good opportunity to you? So funnily enough, uh, like contrary to most MBAs, I wanted to work in a startup since the beginning because, you know, startups, you wear a lot of hats. Um, you do a lot of things. You're always innovating. You're always changing. And that's how I usually work <laughs> in general. Like even in the hospital, I never had any supervision. I like literally just started working without anyone like guiding me. So it was the type of stuff that I wanted to do. And, um, well, right now it's COVID, right? So uh, the, the opportunity seemed like a, an, a great opportunity for growth. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I was like, hmm, this, is a, this is a good solution for the current, pro- current problem. And maybe it, it also has possibilities for the future, right? Because a lot of these solutions, the current solutions for COVID are not going to last for long, right? After COVID is gone, they're going to stop. But this one is it had opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, so that's why I applied. <laughs> nice. So, what does your typical day at SciFox look like? <laughs> so, is there a typical day? Oh, there's never a typical day. Um, I I'm always handling like ten or eleven different projects at the same time, <laughs> which is uh, multitasking like at its finest. Um, like the last couple of weeks, it's been more about the permits for this location. Uh, we, uh, we've been struggling with uh, some permits, and it's always talking about people, meeting requirements. Uh, you know, when you think that you're already finished with the requirements, you dig a little bit more, <laughs> yeah. and you find uh, 300 more requirements that you need, right? So that's that's been quite tough. Um, but, you know, pretty entertaining. Uh, but at the same time, like, there's some activities that are, like, design. Um, I, I work with Mike in some of the designs, and that's pretty interesting. That's more like my childhood dream of being right. an inventor. <laughs> Um, but then again, I also work with Diedrich and do stuff uh, that I learned in the MBA, right? So the financial, the, okay. the financial analysis, see what loans we're gonna get, yeah, that kind of situations, great. right? And of course, stuff that I learned from uh, the hospital, you know, at acquisitions. <laughs> Uh, but it's always interesting to see what uh, Sarat and the other engineers are always doing and the different things. So there's a lot of opportunity yeah, to I, learn as well. Yeah. I feel like the uh, the fact that we do 
chemistry, biology, photonics, and electronics, it's a great opportunity to buy used equipment. You were like, you know, trained for five years and buying used equipment, right? So now it's it's kind of, uh, yeah, did you ever think you'd be buying used equipment again? I'm I wonder, you know. Honestly, honestly, I never thought I was going to do anything about electronic equipment anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, right? Like this thing with the permits, I was saying this to you earlier, like you do this once, it's really painful, you learn a lot from it, and you just never do it again, and that's like the worst, you know? Because maybe you permit something one more time in your life. I mean, you know, it's it's nice when you get to reuse your, uh, like, hard-earned yeah. skills, right? Yeah. Well, um, I got to say that hopefully I never have to deal with permits again, <laughs> or government. <Yes. laughs> yeah, that's funny. Hopefully they won't hear this. Been traumatized. In, in 10 years, you will have, like, on LinkedIn, you're going to say, like, government specialist. Like, <laughs> you know, permits, permit specialist. <laughs> Just, just digging a little more. So we just, you know, completed this move mostly, and and uh, we're almost done with the with the lab here at the new location. You you put a lot of work into into doing this. Are you happy that it's almost over? Oh. Uh, how how is what's your retrospective on doing the move? Uh, I gotta say that when we finish building the lab, I'm, I'm literally gonna bring some champagnes here. I was just gonna ask you, how are we gonna celebrate? Is the better question because we uh, are all gonna feel a lot. Oh better. yeah, like w there's gonna be one for the inauguration. You or Diedrich can you just throw it to the wall. Hopefully not to the plywood, uh, to the <laughs> <Yeah>. real wall. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we will celebrate. I, I gotta say it's been a painful process. It's been super painful yeah. since like uh, December, since the beginning of December. Uh, but you know, slowly moving, <laughs> slowly, slowly moving. No, I mean, it That's feels it feels part. like it's yeah. It feels it feels like we're basically there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there were there were some dark periods. <laughs> um. <laughs> what do you like to do for fun? What's your ideal day off? So, okay, I, I, this is a little bit of my background, right? Um, I used to love climbing. I used to love cl uh, hike, um, hiking. I used to love boxing. But for some reason in my life, everything that I love my body breaks down, so I cannot do it anymore, right? So I cannot longer climb because I got uh, my, all my joints <laughs> destroyed. I cannot longer box because I have a fracture in one of my bones and some of my <laughs> ligaments are, are super flexible. And it seems like I have something in my hip, so maybe uh, hiking won't, won't happen in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, it will continue happening. But yeah, those are the three things I really like to do. Yeah. And I used to also used to paint a lot and read a lot. I don't have the time anymore, but I used to like it. Yeah, can you, you show? Can you show Mike some of your paintings? Because I was actually going to ask you about this. We just found out about this today. <laughs> He's really good. Huh? It's so you you know. have a yeah. I'm reading this these notes here. You actually have an Instagram full of paintings, yeah. which was not yeah. This was not publicized. So if our listeners want to follow Armando on Instagram, follow his paintings and his work, you can follow him at at R, the letter R, Mand, M-A-N-D, dot Paredes, Paredes, P-A-R-E-D-E-S. Yeah, these, are, these, are these are pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're a little bit intense, but... Is this, what would you say the style is? Is this a common style in Mexico? It is not a common style. Oh, like, I've only seen one or two artists that paint similarly. Hmm. And people just describe it as, like, biological abstract. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, this really reminds me of like uh, something in between anime and the straight like biological illustrations. <laughs> I have a friend who paints like a lot of biological stuff, but it's more classical. Like it really, it looks like psychedelic plus biology. Yeah. This is more like, yeah, maybe anime or, or like, uh, yeah, something like that plus biology. And it's what really were the cool. mediums that you use again? 
Oh, so yeah, I use acrylic and uh, like ink, black ink. Mm. You're you you're a big hand guy. You have a lot of hands. <laughs> Did you so, notice that too? Yeah. <laughs> so th those paintings, the ones of the hands, was a period where I was literally painting hands just uh, because I was representing uh, the self. You know, mm. like uh, I wouldn't say soul, but the personality, and the hands were the medium to portray that. And all of the paintings represent different situations in which, like, the personality changes or adapts, right. or you know, it's just put in trace. Yeah, th this is awesome. I I've actually never successfully painted a hand. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, like a like a well, yeah, that's not even that's not interesting with the podcast. But I, <laughs> just on my on a personal note, like I can't even draw a hand. Uh, <laughs> You're not alone. Is, yeah, that's very that's very cool. Okay, let's first do the the important question. So, what what do you like in in coworkers and dealing with your coworkers, and what do you not like? So this is your opportunity to, um, you know, without directly giving anybody feedback, just tell people what you like and don't like, so that they know, <laughs> so that they know, you know, when they listen to this podcast, uh, like what's the best way? How do you like to work with others? Oh well. I really like uh, um, co-creation. So it sounds like a fancy word, but it's not. Um, so, for example, if I have an idea, I would usually just ask advice from other people or ask what they think so that they could add into the idea, right? So, for example, some of the processes, Tara has been in this. Like, I have a process and I ask her, hey, do, how do you think we could do this? Uh, did I ask you or was it Julia? Maybe Julia. <laughs> uh, so I really, really like co-creation. Um, what I don't like, um, I, <laughs> I absolutely hate that in the morning they ask me for one thing from one supplier, and then in the afternoon they ask me for another, and I already made the order, so I have to do it twice. Uh, <laughs> nice. uh, but it happens every time. <laughs> that should, that's like an opportunity for uh, making a rule. Okay, that's interesting. We should, yeah. I'm gonna note that. We should just <laughs> make a rule out of that. Okay, so this was good. We discovered something. Uh, supplier batching or something. Uh, okay, cool. But I, I really like that there's like really good communication in general. Like if I need something, I can just reach out to anyone and if they almost immediately respond. Okay, I asked this to Surat uh, because I knew it was a hot button issue with him. But I'm curious. Okay, long emails with a lot of like flowery language. So like, thank you, please, <laughs> stuff like that. Or one line emails. What's your preference? So um, I would say, well... Um, Mexicans usually write huge, huge, huge pieces of text. And uh, I've been here in the U.S. for a while, so I got used to, like, short things. So I do, like, a mixture, you know, like a medium-sized <laughs> content. Nice. <laughs> but, like, super small uh, emails I hate. Like, for example, there's a supplier. I won't say his name because mm -hmm. I will burn him. But he answers with one, f with one or two words. You ask him, oh, do you want to buy this or this or this? And these are the prices. And he says, yes, do it. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, Tara. Are you ready for the hot seat? This is, you're going to ask um, questions and I have to say the first thing that comes yes. to my mind? Okay. All right. You ready? Yeah, yeah, let's do let's it. Let's go. Dog or cat? Dog. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. Phone call or text? Text. Toast or eggs? Toast. Cardio or weights? Uh, cardio. Facebook or Twitter? Twitter. No, no, what? No, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even use Twitter, what? <laughs> Pop or indie? Uh, indie. Cake or pie? Pie. New clothes or new phone? New clothes. 
What's worse, laundry or dishes? Man, neither. <laughs> <laughs> Online shopping or shopping in a store? Online. Most important in a partner, intelligent or funny? Intelligent. Movie at home or movie in the theater? Theater. Ocean or mountains? Oof, that's when that one's hard. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> mountains, <Both>. I guess. <laughs> horror movie or comedy movie? Oh, horror all the way. Really? I love <laughs> horror movies. I've seen all of them. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, that is, that's all we have for you. Um, I think that's uh, all I have. I think, I, yeah, I have a question that I thought of while he was doing that. So imagine whatever like futuristic far out worlds where all the technology that people have imagined is available. What would you bring back from the future to, to have today in the world? Like if you could have ubiquitously have one technology from the future, which one would it be? Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, so I think, well, we're currently connected through, through the internet, right? And we're creating this like collective consciousness about knowledge. And I think when, uh, you know, Neuralink or, or some of these other technologies start making chips that m manage to connect consciousness between two, co uh, two um, persons, I think that's going to be super interesting. That's, I would say, the technology I would bring back. The base feature, it's like if I could imagine an image and then just have you imagine the image. Right. You know, if you agree to accept my message or whatever, <laughs> airdrop. That would be that would be incredible, right? Because that that's already like um, uh, that's like half the battle for a lot of things. Right. But yeah. um, that actually reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you. Do you think what language do you think in? I. <laughs> it's really funny. It depends on the day. Yeah. Sometimes I uh, well, most of the time I, uh, I think in Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, but since I've been here in the U.S., some days I think in English, That's some days in it, Spanish. Yeah. And it's funny. Sometimes I'm thinking in English and I want to speak in English, but say a word in Spanish, it's really yeah. weird. I don't know how it works. <laughs> so Armando, you told me you have quite a few dogs. <laughs> Can you tell me about that? So, yeah, my family has 15 dogs in Querétaro and four cats. 15. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's partly because my mother always... Felt sorry for the ones that were abandoned in the street, so we would add, we would catch a lot of them to take them to like the rescue. Mm -hmm. uh, but she would fall in love with a lot of them, oh. so she would keep them. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up like when I was younger, I, I would have like maybe four or five dogs at the same time. But then when I moved out to study, and then my brothers and sisters started leaving, my mother started going crazy and <laughs> getting more and more and those more. were her new babies. <laughs> yeah. But but you live? Do they live partially outside? Like you you have sp a lot of space for them, or how does it work exactly? <laughs> so uh, we have a a big house and a big garden, and how my mother handles them is that she has like four different sections, five sections, where she can put the dogs, and she rotates them right. So for example, there's seven dogs that live inside of the house in the kitchen and uh, with us. Then mm. there's like three who live only with my sister, and there's like a middle garden, right? So she was they would stay there. Then we have a front garden, and there's two dogs there. And then uh, there's another side garden and another two dogs. And then in, this, in the backyard, uh, we have, like, another four dogs. <laughs> so every day she would rotate them so that, you know, they're not yeah. bored of the same location. Oh, wow. That's so sweet. <laughs> can you name them all? I can try. Yeah? Let's yeah, do it. Let's, let's see. Um, Oh, well, actually, you know what? I lied. Not 15, 14. One of them died. I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. He, no, no, I, I will tell you the reason why he died. He was really, really famous in, in Querétaro. But anyways, um, so let's start. Joko, which is a pug, 
uh, os, um, Shaila, Pantufla, um, then it's uh, Lamidita, then Mina, then it's, well, Susana died as well. Oh, maybe not 15 then, 13. <laughs> well, Susana. <laughs> the number just keeps Joe, Morgana, um, what's the name of this one? Oh, it's because she got some new that I don't remember her names. Um... I don't know, like, there's just so many, I forget, I forget. Fine. And yeah, what was uh, the story with the, So there's a story. So she, she was uh, an Australian, uh, a ship, uh, Australian shepherd, right? So she had the, um, she had to stay in the, in the uh, backyard garden for that day, right? And for some reason, somebody in, in the neighborhood had a puma or a, some kind of big cat in their house and it escaped, right? And of course, he went into my house, ate the dog, and then oh. left. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How did you know? How? Oh, because the type of well, actually, didn't eat the dog completely. Only one of the legs. Oh my god. So how cats usually eat is that they rip the skin. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. <laughs> uh, so and and also one of uh, one of my uncles is like a he has asu, so literally he has asu. Um, oh. He has a what? Asu. A zoo, Z O O. Yeah, yeah. He has a zoo. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he's a cat. He's, expert. he's a cat expert. So he told us, yeah, so like a big puma or or uh, a lynx ate this dog, and yeah, it was super super uh, like notorious news in Querétaro. Like wow. everybody heard about it. <laughs> everybody knew. Wow. I actually met some some Querétans here in Boston. Who knew, knew about your dog about, getting yeah, eaten. Yeah, they actually told yeah. me as a joke, hey, did you learn about the dog that was eaten by a puma in Crete? And I'm like, that, that's my family. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, wow. well, that's, that's almost, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's, a great, it's great that you have so many dogs. I, I assume it's like less painful, right? <laughs> but still probably a tragedy. But It no, was like, a tragedy, yeah. It's not like the one dog, you know, one dog family loses a dog to a puma. That's like, right. you know. Yeah. Um, okay cool uh i think i think we're good all right that's all we have thank you for listening to the official scifox podcast you can keep up with us online at scifox.com or on your favorite social media platform and don't forget that we're hiring so if you or someone you know wants to be a part of our awesome team take a look at our open positions at scifox.com forward slash careers 